To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Saturday Morning with Jack Tame podcast from Newstalk ZB. Kia ora New Zealand. Good morning. Welcome to Newstalk ZB. You're with Jack Tame through to midday. Love them or loathe them. More than perhaps any other fruit, any other crop, fijoas hold a special place in New Zealand. Come autumn, the tropical, yet creamy, yet gelatinous, yet gritty, perfumey fruit all have a habit of turning up at once in the annual fijoa glut. And Kiwi author Kate Evans calls herself maybe the nerdiest of fijoa nerds. Kate has travelled the world researching and celebrating the extraordinary fruit and has published an amazing new book called Fijoa, A Story of Obsession and Belonging. Kate is with us this morning. Kia ora, Kate. Good morning. Kia ora, Jack. Nice to be here. Yeah, nice to be speaking with you. I am obsessed with Fijoas, but I know that no one is perhaps more obsessed with Fijoas <laughs> than you. Why? What is it about the Fijoa? Oh, there's so many things, Jack. Um, like lots of Kiwis, I grew up um, sitting under a Fijoa tree at my parents' house. They actually had a hedge of them around the orchard with the chickens and the fruit trees and the hedge surrounding them. So I used to sit, come home from school and sit under the tree and cut them open and eat, you know, a bucket at a time. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and you never get sick. Um, <laughs> and... Then I lived overseas for about a decade, and when I was away, I just missed Fijoa so much. And whenever I could, you know, whenever I could find one for three dollars for a single fruit, you know, um, <laughs> I'd, I'd buy it. And when I cut it open, I get this intense kind of emotional nostalgia for for home. Uh, something about the smell, the taste—it was this kind of like magical, time transporting thing. Um, and then when I moved back to New Zealand in 2014. I was so excited to be here for an entire Fijoa season because when yeah. you're living away, you come back at Christmas, you don't come back at Fijoa season, so you never get to have them fresh. Um, and then I just started wondering, like, this is weird. Like, why is it such a New Zealand thing when I knew that it came from South America? And for me, I have a real connection to South America. I learned Spanish. I spent some time living in Argentina. I've returned quite often for work. I love it there. And I just got really curious about how that had happened. Like, how did this thing come from yeah. South America? and become this taste of home for New Zealanders. So so let's go there. Let's talk about the history then a little bit. How did the Fijoa become <laughs> the Fijoa? Yeah, so interestingly, it's not called Fijoa in the places where it comes from at all. It's called like variations of like guava, guashabo and guayaba in Brazil and Uruguay. Um, it was a long journey. So a French landscape gardener was the first person to take like a plant from South America mm. and grow it in Europe. So they, they come from Uruguay, from the southern highlands of Brazil and the tiny corner of Argentina. That's their native area. Right. In 1890, this French guy brought them back and grew them on the French Riviera. And he kind of announced the existence of the Fijoa to the world. Like he <laughs> wrote a scientific paper about it. He started yeah. selling them. He kind of like raved about them. And then from there, they went to California, where they were predicted to be the fruit of the century, which never quite happened. <laughs> and, then, and then from there, they went to, it's not totally clear whether they went to Australia first and then to New Zealand or whether they came directly from California to New right. Zealand. 
Right, but but this is well before customs were finding people for four hundred dollars <laughs> for having oranges in their backpacks and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Rough, roughly around hundred, like maybe the early nineteen hundreds, so nineteen ten. Do 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 Fijos grow as well in these other parts of the world as they do in New Zealand? Possibly not. <laughs> This one, the other um, Fijo, well, the real Fijo expert who's actually a scientist, yeah. Grant Thorpe, he told me he thinks they grow better in New Zealand than almost anywhere else. Where that the native um, area where they grow the soil is not that great, um, and we also don't have any like many until we got guava moth, we didn't yeah. really have any pests and diseases here, so they just just grow so easily. You don't really have to do, you know, quite easy to grow them. You don't but really have to do much. I was stunned uh, in, in learning from your book about the places that they that they grow. So they're grown commercially, I, I mean, in New Zealand, although okay. have you ever paid for a Fijoa in your life in <laughs> New Zealand, Kate? I don't know. Yeah, I, good question. I actually don't know if I have. I, I, can't, I don't know that I've ever paid in New Zealand for a Fijoa. I think it I feel like that's wrong, kind of sacrosanct. Well, it's just like get a job in an office and then, you know, you just turn up and there are like 3,000 yes. on the communal lunch desk. Anyway, um, Azerbaijan, yeah, Georgia, really, parts yeah. of Russia. I'd like. It seems strange that these parts of the world might have similar climates or similar soil conditions. Yeah, but yeah. I think they, they must be similar because it's, it's not actually tropical. It's subtropical. Yeah, right. And the areas, like in the Brazilian part where they grow, it's it's further north than we are, but it, they grow in the highlands, like 700 to 1,000 metres. So they yeah. need some chill. Um, yeah, I gutted I didn't make it to Azerbaijan or Georgia for the book. That would have been amazing. Apparently Georgians love them as much as we do and have a real similar kind of taste of home factor. And then Colombians, like in the Andes, they yeah. love them as well. They turn them into juices. Like they're really well known in Bogota and the, the Highland parts. Well, of because Columbia. you and you went to Colombia because they have a, they actually have a Fijoa festival, right? They do. I, I found out. <laughs> I found out about this festival like right at the start of my research. And yeah. I was like, I just have to go. It was amazing. It's in this small little town, um, about three hours from Bogota, like in the Andes. Like it's not like fully mountainous you can sort of see the mountains in the in the distance um and then every year i think for about 30 years now they've had this festival of the fijoa which is like a folk music festival yeah. and also fijoa products and they make so many more things with them than we do there's like a restaurant there called tierra de fejoa where they serve like pork with fijoa oh. fijoa ceviche like yeah. a lot of savory dishes and they have this kind of weird um like liqueur like baileys that's kind of green and they put eggs in it and it's fijoa flavored is it good yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay, that's fine. That's very diplomatic of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is another thing that I love about your book. You have included lots of these recipes because this is one of the massive, this is, feels like the eternal problem with Fijoas in New Zealand. <laughs> and that, that is just that they all turn up at once and there's like a three-week period. The first week, you're just loving eating them. The second week, you're starting to get a little bit tired. The third week, you're like, I really need to find ways to eat Fijoas that aren't just eating Fijoas. Um, so you've got Mirasur's uh, Fish and Fehoa Tartar. Um, yeah. you've got Laura's Fijoa mousse. You've got a whole like range of uh, like a Fijoa carpaccio. Yeah, you've got a whole range of different recipes. Was there yeah. any any really amazing recipe that you discovered from your international travels, a way to use Fijoas that you think we should pick up on like as a priority one, you reckon? Mm, good question. There's one that actually didn't quite make it into the book because it was too similar to the one that Mirazua made. It was a Fijoa ceviche, like just really simple yeah, right. fish, white fish and lime juice with Fijoas and capsicum and tomato, which in coriander, which, you know, coriander is also polarizing, but um, that one seems really simple and delicious. Is, is there um, enough acid in the Fijoa to, 
to like cure the fish in the way no no you still got to use the lime as well yeah Yeah, this is just we'd add the fajitas later yeah i actually collected so many recipes and the idea was that like a character from each of the parts of the book would kind of present you with one of their recipes and there's like a huge variation like some of them are really simple kind of folk recipes like um from an addition like a a traditional uh afro-brazilian community that i visited in brazil all the way up to like this extremely elaborate french yeah um, recipe from Muno's restaurant which was actually like the best you know that top 50 restaurants in the world it was like the best restaurant a couple of years ago so i'm amazed like i'm so they yeah i wrote to them being like would you like to make me a recipe and they were they were really into it because the chef's argentinian and um it's you know they were so interested in the history and how it had this connection between argentina and the french riviera so yeah i haven't tried making that one yet but um it's yeah i look forward to giving it a go that's probably the highest degree of difficulty just don't you love the thought of people going there like you know spending like a thousand dollars per head for dinner or something (laughs) and and they and the chef coming out and presenting them with this thing and they're thinking wow this is the most tropical exotic incredible fruit like may imagine how much this costs imagine how difficult it is to produce (laughs) new zealand we're like yeah i actually found fijo was like at um you know monte carlo in monaco like right next to the um the big casino there like just growing along the edge of the like expensive marina like as a hedge and no. i don't think anyone really knew that you could eat them but they were just like they're just around kind of secretly on the french riviera so so colombia has this um or in a little part of colombia three hours from Bogota, they have a um they have a festival are they revered mm-hmm. anywhere else in the same way that they are in new zealand and are any of these places where they are revered aware that in new zealand they are just this kind of incredible cultural icon I don't think other places know about New Zealand yeah. and the Fijoa. Um, there, yeah. So I would say Georgia, from the sounds of things, like in Tbilisi, they're a big thing. They make Fijoa cocktails. They put them in dishes and stuff over there. Um, and then, yeah, parts of Colombia, this one town, you know, it's like the town of the Fijoa. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, but but interestingly, in in the places that they come from, in, in Uruguay and Brazil, they're a lot less well-known than they are here. And I ended up trying to find out why that was. And like colonization was actually a big part of it, especially in, in Uruguay. Oh, um, okay. And yeah, that the and how do you mean? And that the Spanish weren't into it? There was there was literally there was a genocide of their indigenous peoples, basically. Um, and that kind of indigenous culture was crushed. And along with that, kind of an appreciation for like native plants and native fruits and things. So there's like this movement now of chefs trying to kind of reclaim and indigenous peoples they're trying to reclaim that culture and um you rediscover their native fruits and use them to make beer and kind of get people knowing about like these because they're amazing ones there's all these relatives of the fijoa that are super delicious as well yeah yeah i'm speaking to kate evans she is the author of fijoa a story of obsession and belonging what do the leaves taste like kate <laughs> I haven't like bitten into one, but um, you can. I did, try, I did try making them. Oh, that's the petals that you. Yeah, oh, the petals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the white, the white, those sort of crunchy white petals, are actually delicious. They're really sweet. They're almost like um, I want to say like fairy floss or something. You can put them in a salad, and wow. that, the reason that they're so sweet is because they're designed to attract birds to pollinate the flowers, and so fruit-eating birds come and eat those sweet petals and pollinate the, the flowers at the same time. Yeah. But you, but you can actually use the leaves in a tea, and uh, the Afro-Brazilian community I visited used it as like a medicinal tea, so they would get the leaves and put it in hot water and then treat various illnesses with that tea. Ah, okay, I prefer it as a cider. 
personally. Oh, yes. Yeah, I don't mind a little, a little Fijo cider from time to and time. And, um, and eight wired sour beer is pretty good. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I've got a couple of kind of NZ-specific questions for you mm-hmm. that I'm putting you on Fit the spot me. a bit here. First of all, is there a dialect difference between Fijoa and Fijoa that you are aware of? Oh, I love that question. I don't know. I, I don't know where I heard it, but I heard it somewhere, and I have repeated it so many times to so many people in really public fora over the years. <laughs> like I just, I was convinced that there was a South Island, North Island oh. dialect difference between. No. So, so basically, that maybe people who live north of Kaikoura say Fijoa, but people who live south of Kaikoura say Fijoa. I, and I know so, it's a minor thing. But. No, 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 I'm fascinated. I'd be so interested to hear what your listeners have to say about this because my feeling is that it's generational, not geographical. Ah. So my dad says Fajoa, and I feel like older people, like baby boomers, say Fajoa, and maybe younger, like millennials and younger, say Fijoa. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, we'll see if we can I mean, put it out there. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that'd be very helpful. Um, the next, well, I suppose this isn't entirely NZ specific, but it's certainly something that is concerning a lot of our listeners the guava moth. Have you come yeah. up with? Any, have you come across any really good solutions to people whose fijoa crops are being smashed by guava moth? I know they say spray neem oil and that kind of thing, but is there anything that's maybe more effective? I actually wrote about this for New Zealand Gardener like three years ago, and they were like, I can't remember that it's on stuff, but like there were like five. If you do kind of like all the five things, it might work. My mum has actually had a lot of success with like gathering up all the fallen fijoas, like. You, yeah, you have to go out there and get all of them, and then she feeds them to the to the cows, which they love. Um, so if you can find a way to sort of like get rid of them, then you're disrupting the life cycle of the caterpillar. And the oh, yeah. okay. And then you can use that in combination with like a pheromone traps, which are not like per- they don't work perfectly. Yeah, but, right. Um, you kind of do hit them. It seems to be if you hit them with everything, and if you get your neighbours to do that too, you can actually control it quite well. Because my parents are getting less guava moth than, than they were. Than they were. Okay. And, and finally, then uh, in a similar vein, if you don't have cows or, or pigs like your parents, <laughs> yeah. is, is there is there anything you can do to get get rid of fijoas other than take them into the office and hope for the best? Guava moth ones, I wouldn't sort of just drag no, them no, around no. so that you don't. Um, but yes, actually, just this week, I was talking to um, Michelle Blau from Fair Food, and she they, they're an organization that distribute fijoas, um to other community organizations that help people who are experiencing hunger, which there are actually a lot in New Zealand. Um, so if you're in Auckland or West Auckland and you have more fijoas than you know what to do with, you can deliver them to Fair Food and they'll make sure that they get to people who um, like really need some fruit and some fresh fruit. fruit. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Hey, congratulations, Kate. It is such an interesting subject, and um, your book is really beautiful. I love it. The combination of like of history, of personal anecdotes, of travel, uh, and of course recipes. It's um it's fantastic. So congratulations, Fijoa, a story of obsession and belonging. And uh, thanks for your time, Kate. Thank you so much, Jack. That is Kate Evans. All the details for Fijoa will be up on the News Talk ZB website. For more from Saturday Morning with Jack Tame, listen live to News Talk ZB from 9am Saturday or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.